Please turn with me in your Bibles to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. And let us read there the first 15 verses, the text being 14 and 15. Actually, verse 1 as well. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the, river, in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately, coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts. And the angels ministered to him. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Once upon a time, long, long ago, it will, one of these days, be exactly 2,000 years ago, a new word burst into the, the, the vocabulary of mankind. It was there before, but not as well known. It was the word we know as gospel. It's now almost 2,000 years. What does it mean? Are you able to explain what this word means? It's derived from the Old English God spell, which means good story. Evangelion in Greek. Evangelio in Spanish. 
Evangelie in Dutch. In Swahili in Gili. It says here in Mark. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The son of God. And then in verse 14. After John was put in prison. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming. The good news of God or the gospel of the kingdom of God. The angels, you will remember, or the angels said to the shepherds, don't be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Good news. My, ba- my, my goodness, aren't we flooded with bad news for years now already? And did you spot the bad news in our text? It was the worst of times. The greatest preacher probably ever before Jesus was put in prison. He was now sitting in a dark dungeon. So much for freedom of speech. It was Jesus' own dear cousin. How's that for dark times? Now Luke is very specific to pinpoint the time and the place when the best news ever broke into our world. It was when John was put into prison that Jesus began to preach in Galilee. That Tells you the time and the place. Do you know how huge that is? If you read the Quran or the Sanskrit or you read some story of a superhero or, you know, some mythology of Greek and Roman gods, you find no times and no places on the earth. You know why? It's all made up. It's all made up. The fact that there's a time and a place tells you to happen here. It's the incarnation. He was here. God became a human being and walked among us. He broke into our time and space. That's why, by the way, you have a a map Uh, You know, the more expensive Bibles. Yeah, even this one. There's a map normally in the back of the Bible. Used to be in every Bible long ago. That's huge. That tells you. The Bible is not like other so-called holy books. He came into our world. It was at that time that Jesus began preaching. And he said, the time has come. We can't go into that, but it was also the best of times, thanks to Caesar Augustus, the greatest Caesar. The Pax Romana had the best Rome road system, as you learn at school. The best postal system. Uh, very, very good roads. You could uh, take a message as 
quickly and as far as ever. And one language was spoken from Spain to India, Greek. It was also the best of times. If you want to get a message out, it was a very good time. And then John was put in prison. John! That sounded so much like Elijah. Elijah that was supposed to introduce the Messiah. And so we read. There in verse 14. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So you you hear two things. He preached the gospel and then he said, repent and believe. So there is the gospel and there's the only fitting response to the gospel. Two things, keep them apart. So what is the gospel? Well, we know these billboards on the side of the road. Heaven or hell, salvation is just a prayer away. Or Jesus is the answer. The choice is yours. Gospel has become some kind of fire insurance. But was that what Jesus was preaching? An atheist scholar from Princeton did her PhD on sermons. She took sermons from the conservative and the more liberal Protestant churches. She came to the conclusion they both preach the same thing. All is forgiven. All is forgiven. They basically cut out all the stuff in the Bible that is not very nice to hear for a post-modern audience. So what is this gospel then of the kingdom? Well, to figure that out, we need to ask Jesus. Where did he get the word gospel from? If you listen to him closely, you read through the gospel, the one gospel with four accounts, then you will figure out that there was one scroll in the Old Testament that was more dear to him than all the others. And that was, you write, the scroll of Isaiah. And that is where Jesus got this word from. You can be sure of that. And as you go to Isaiah, you may want to do that, we, we find that word in Isaiah 40 and 52 and 61. Let's just scan Isaiah 40 very, very briefly. We cannot go into details. Isaiah 40. Now those opening words are so well known. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended that our iniquity is pardoned. <clears throat> now remember, Isaiah is speaking to a people in exile. They are in exile far away from the promised land. They're in Babylon. And they knew they deserved this. God warned them for centuries. 
And they didn't care. They just, like a stubborn mule, continued on in their sin. And now they sat there by the rivers of Babylon, and they wept for Jerusalem. And then God sent them this message. Comfort, comfort ye my people. Tell them, I have not abandoned you. I have not forgotten you. But as you continue to read, you hear the a voice of that man that was now put in prison. Prepare the way for the Lord. The man who ate locusts and wild honey who called Israel to repentance. You hear him there in Isaiah. Crying out, we're all like grass. Our lives are nothing. Just snuffed out like nothing. And then you hear all about this God. In verse 9, you who bring good news to Zion, who go up on a high mountain, you who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice and shout. Lift up, don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, what? I have to. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold your God. There is your God. He's coming to you. He has not forgotten you or forsaken you. He should have. And his reward is with him. This is the good news. This is the gospel. And he is coming to you. Who are you talking about? What kind of God? Well, as you read on, he is the one that will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather his lambs in his arms. He will carry them close to his heart. He will gently lead those that are young. Who do you think about now? What picture do you see? And then the voice goes on to say, Behold your God. Who is this God? Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and stretched out the heavens with his mighty hand. Who brings out this starry host every night before whom the nations are but like a drop in a bucket and dust on the scales. This shepherd is the almighty. Judah and Jerusalem, behold your God. He has not forgotten you. He is coming to you. Your God reigns, he later on says. And not only for Israel will he come, but for the ends of the earth. For we will read later that the islands, the furthest places, will long for him because he brings justice to the nations. And then you find the word again in 52. The prophet shouts, wake up, wake up, O daughter of Jerusalem. And then you go to verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. What does the word Messiah mean? King. Your king has come. But then, 
You know that very well as Isaiah goes on. You know what will happen to this servant who brings the good news. He will be despised and rejected by men, one for whom we turn our faces away. The Lord will lay on him the iniquity of us all. Incredible. And now you begin to realize why Jesus quoted Isaiah so much. It foretold his whole story, his entire life and being. And now we find the word once more in chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings, the gospel to the poor. Good tidings. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to those who are bound. And you know why that passage is so dear to us. That is the word that our Lord read in the synagogue of Nazareth in his hometown that he preached from. And he said, today these words are fulfilled in your hearing. And they were stunned. So what is the gospel? The gospel is behold your God has not forgotten you, has not abandoned you, but is coming to you. He who was in the bosom of the Father from all eternity Didn't think it too much to come down to empty himself, to take upon him the form of a servant, to live among us and to obey his father and to the death of a cross. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. The Son of God. The son of a donkey is a donkey. The son of a man is a man. The son of a lion is a lion. And the son of God is God. But then Jesus went into Galilee preaching, we are told, after his baptism. But let's read. Let's look at this baptism. Very quickly, in Mark chapter 1. And it came to pass, verse 9, in those days, that Jesus came up from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, verse 10, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So what happens here? Jesus is anointed. He's designated by the Father. This is my Son, whom I love. Listen to Him. He is my Messiah, my King. And to understand this better, think of David, anointed long ago by Samuel when he went down to Bethlehem, and all the sons of Jesse passed before him. He says, not not one of them, not one of them. Do you have any any other... Uh, other boy, other son, Jesse, yes, and they called David in. And he anointed him. He poured out the oil on him. 
So David was then the designated king. But Saul was still in power. And Saul was a very suspicious guy. He had a sniff what was going on. He pursued David with a sword. David just hanging there for long by the skin and the skin of his teeth. It was so close. A few times it seemed that he would never, ever reach the throne. But he was the designated king. And so what do you see about Jesus? After his baptism, the Spirit led him out into the wilderness. What for? To hunt a deer? No. To be tempted by Satan. Who is reigning? Who says all the kingdoms are mine? Who is the prince of the world? Keeping us in bondage and pulling the wool over our eyes. It's Satan. The great adversary. And so Jesus resisted him for 40 days. And after that, the angels came to serve him. And the devil left him until an opportune time. But Saul is in power. And yet Jesus is the designated Messiah. So how will he take the throne? How will he take back Jerusalem? First of all, he had to show all Israel that he is that good shepherd. That in him truly the kingdom of God has come near. And that is what the folks in Galilee saw and what we read in the gospel. And yet through it all, Jesus was focused on Jerusalem. Why on Jerusalem? Because he had to bring about regime change. That was the city of the great king. It could happen no other way. He had to go to Jerusalem. And eventually, in a daring way, he enters that city, humble on a donkey, straight into enemy territory. He cleanses the Temple Mount, a revolutionary act. And they say, who in the world gives you the right to do this? And so, it was Passover in the year 30 AD. And Jesus and his friends are in Gethsemane. And Satan launches his final attack. It's a brutal and bloody street fight for the holy city. This, the devil is mustering all his power. And Jesus' close friends betray him. They arrest him, the enemy. They arrest him like a common criminal. And soon after this, his best friend even denies him. And the rest desert him. It is hand-to-hand combat now. The casualties are rising, and there's only one man standing, and a few loyal women from Galilee. It's the hour of darkness. Jesus is falsely accused. Every single principle of justice is warped and violated to send him to the cross. He is spat upon, beaten with rods, draped in a royal, fake royal garment. A crown of thorns is pressed into his skull. And then he's sent to the Roman prefect Pontius Pilate. And Pilate is in panic mode. He knows the man is innocent, but he's afraid of the crowd. And Jerusalem is mad. And Pilate asks Jesus a few questions. But he's stunned at his silence and his solitary answer. And then he brings him out on the balcony. With a riffraff shouting like crazy. What does Pilate say? 
Behold the man. Ege homo. Behold the man. Behold your God has become behold the man. And that is the gospel. The incarnate God became the disfigured man. Giving his life a ransom for many. Now it's not a fire escape. It is God's loving this world so much that he gave us his son to rescue the cosmos. Not only you and your little soul, but the cosmos from the clutches of Satan, from death and hell. And so Jesus is sent out to the place of the skull. And the mocking is relentless, the hostility vehement, the fighting is brutal. Satan fights with every weapon at his disposal, and Jesus fights back, just as the Father tells him. And now he's all alone in this brutal street fight for Jerusalem, for Judea, for, for the ends of the earth, and for your life and soul. And Jesus doesn't give up. He's fighting till the last breath. Even as they drive the nails through his hands and he's hoisted up in the air and he hangs there. And then around noon, he says it's finished. And he breathes his last and drops his head and it's over. The last man standing is dead. And blackness covers the earth. And all you hear is the wind howling and earthquakes rumbling and women weeping and enemies hissing and many folks walking away beating their breasts crying out, what have we done? And a lone Roman centurion circling before the throne on his horse shouts, truly this was a righteous man. And at that moment... A never-ending revolution begins. Jesus has ascended to his throne on the cross. And through his throne on the cross, from where he ruled, he will later ascend into heaven. God is using the weakest thing in the world to confound the mighty. He, and he will use now, from now on, the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. The greatest revolution the world has ever seen has begun and will not end until Jesus comes again. For on that first morning after the Sabbath, when the women folk arrived at the tomb, they were shocked. His body was gone. Why do you look for the living among the dead? The angel said. Did he not tell you? I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Go up to Galilee. Tell his brothers. There you will meet him. And that is the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Behold your God. Behold the man. Now, what an insult to say it's about the salvation of my soul. Or, you know, like some 
astute theologians say, where is the gospel in Luke? Or where is the gospel in Mark? Have you ever heard that? The gospel is God's incarnate glory became the disfigured servant. And there are not four gospels. It's one. Cherish that gospel. The early church cherished it so much. I read somewhere, someone was not even willing to give his gospel scroll as payment to cross the Mediterranean. No. It's too precious. One gospel, four crown witnesses. Listen how Peter spoke the gospel to the Gentiles in Cornelius' house. He told them about the good news. See there in Acts 10. The good news about Jesus of Nazareth. And he said... How Jesus went around doing good to all. And we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one, said Peter, whom God has appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Now those were days when people were still, uh, you know, re- respecting the day of judgment. He says, he is the one whom God has appointed to judge the living and the dead. Can you imagine anything better than knowing the one who's going to judge the living and the dead and that your case is settled with him? That the judge is on your side. Can you think of anything better than that? That's why the gospel is about reconciliation, about settling with God and settling with man, about justification and forgiveness, etc. Because if you settle with the judge, my friend, he will not come as judge but as your friend. He once died for us when we were his enemies. But then he will come alive while we are his friends. But can you imagine not knowing the judge? Not being reconciled to his father through him. Not settling with him. Never having come to Jesus. And that is why we hear repent and believe. This is our response to the gospel. Two simple words. It, it, it does not begin naturally, by the way. You don't, we don't get it with our baptism and with our mother's milk. We just repent and believe kind of automatically. It has to start by the work of the Holy Spirit. It has to begin somewhere. And then it has to go on for life. Repent. That is what the son did in the parable of the prodigal. When he came to himself there by the pigsty, he came to himself. What have I done? 
I will go to my father. I will tell him everything. Or another metaphor, it's to throw down the weapons of your rebellion. To surrender to your king. To confess your rebellion with sorrow. And you make no demands and excuses. And so the prodigal went home. It is to enter through the narrow gate. Repentance means to leave behind everything that cannot come with you. As you come to Jesus and want to follow him now. Every attitude, every deed, every idea, every idol, what it is, every sin. is like going through the scanner on the airport. Get rid of it. Only difference, you can't take it back. You can't take it back. You have to leave it. And all your life you have to lay it down. That is repentance in a nutshell. Lord say 33. And repentance is the flip side of faith. For there can be no repentance without faith. How can you repent without seeing God's glory in his son? And faith means that you believe everything you have been told about Jesus. That he is the one who came from the Father. Jesus said in John 17, Father, they received my testimony. They received your word that I am eternal life. You need to believe what you read in the gospel about Jesus, everything. And that will mean you believe in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It means to fall in love with Jesus, whose name is above every name. Faith means that you are now committing yourself lifelong to him. It is allegiance to him alone. Even if you have to say no to family, no to father, mother, to children and your own possessions and part with it. Faith is allegiance to Christ alone. You go nowhere else. You cling to him. And rely on him for everything. As the son of God's love. And only the Holy Spirit can work that in us. So that was the gospel. And that is the only fitting response to it. For sinners like you and me. Does the gospel make you marvel still? And all these high holy days, these great days in our calendar, it should make us marvel, should fill our eyes with tears and our hearts with love and joy. And let us not reduce the gospel to a common cliche. Let us every day respond to it in the only way that is worthy by repenting and believing, by turning and clinging. Because, as Jesus said in Luke 24, as Peter said to Cornelius, 
Go and preach the gospel of repentance unto the forgiveness of sins. If you believe and repent, all your sins are washed away all the time, every time. Doesn't matter what it was. You're right with God. There is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. And therefore, the life I now live, says Paul, I live by faith in him who gave himself for me. Behold your God. Behold the man. Come, let us pray. Lord our God, we thank you that 2,000 years after this gospel broke into the world, we may glory in it still. We may be so privileged to be among those that you have chosen, to love you, to believe, to be reconciled. And if any here, Lord, are not yet truly reconciled, have not yet repented. Bring them to repentance this very day. And faith, childlike. We all believe in a triune God, but in that faith that flees to Jesus and rests on Him alone and clings to Him for life. Oh God, there is no message like this. They can try as much as they want for a million years to come. There is nothing even close that can compare with the gospel. And we praise you for it. Bless my brothers who are preaching it today. Here, to the migrant workers throughout our federation, wherever, in all the world, bless me as I go and preach it in Africa again next week. Lord, and bless your people to speak the gospel boldly and joyfully and help us to live according to it. In Jesus' name.